0: The GBC Sermon podcast from Gaimia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. This message from our Sunday church service is part of the resources we provide as we seek to see lives changed by Jesus. You could also listen to our Big Three podcast, a conversation that unpacks three big questions raised from sermons like this one. You can find more information about Gaimia Baptist Church as well as discipleship resources and an opportunity to join us in person or online on our website. Here,
1: Good morning. We're going to be reading from 2 Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 7 through to 18. So if you've got your devices or a Bible, look it up and it probably will come up on the screen behind me anyway. And it's titled, The Greater Glory of of the new covenant. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of st- on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory? Of that which lasts. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Their minds were made dull, for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed. Because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But when anyone turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord
2: who is the Spirit. Good morning, everyone. That's nice. It's great to be here in church with you all. My name's Matt. I'm one of the associate pastors here at GBC. And as Rock said, we are continuing in our series with clear hearts, looking at Paul's letter in 2 Corinthians. And today we are going to be tackling that final section of chapter 3. But before we get into that, a little bit about me. As I said, my name is Matt. I'm 34 years old. And of those 34 years, I've been studying in some way, shape or form for 24 years. Um, So... Maybe I've just still got more to learn, Um, but there is a lot that I've learnt, you would hope, after 24 years of study. Um, Number one, no matter how true it seems, you can never use Wikipedia as a reputable source in an essay. (laughs) Go figure. Number two, um, no matter how much I want to believe it, no amount of cramming the night before can fit an entire semester's worth of information in my brain before an exam. And number three, And probably the most important, always read the question. And I don't mean just read the question. There are so many students here today. I love that. (laughs) They're like, Amen, amen, let's go home. Um, Always read the question because every type of question is different and requires a different answer. To explain is different, to outline is different, to clarify. And the curveball that I've always made sure I've kept an eye out on for in my study is the compare and contrast. This, this this idea that when you hold two things up, when you look at their similarities and their differences, that you're able to understand them both more clearly. It asks you to go deeper. It expects you to understand greater. These two components how they are similar, how they are different. And it provides them in context of each other and speaks to the relationship of the two. Jane Austen's um, Emma, oh sorry, Jane Austen? Is it Jane Austen who writes Emma? Thank you, oh gosh. I should have have fact-checked before I got up here. Jane Austen's Emma and the 1995 classic Clueless. Um, da Vinci's The Last Supper and more modern depictions. The British versus the American version of the, of, of the Office. You have to compare and contrast. And when we do, we gain clarity and we gain context. And that is exactly what Paul is doing in this chapter of 2 Corinthians. He's holding up two distinctly different parts of history parts of the Christian faith, and he is comparing and contrasting them to make a point. The old covenant and the new. And like any good student, better than I am, Paul is making a strong argument. And it's an argument that insists that the coming of Jesus ended one ministry and started another, The former belonged to Moses, the man chosen by God to lead Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt, into the wilderness, into the promised land. And the latter is Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Saviour who died and rose again. And so in order for Paul to compare and contrast the Old Covenant and the New, he draws from Old Testament Scripture... He draws from Exodus 34, which tells the story of not the first, but the second time that Moses goes up the mountain in order to receive the law and have it carved on stone tablets. The first time didn't work out so well. The first time, while he was up there getting the law from God, the Israelites got a little bit angsty. They got a little bit frustrated. They got a little bit bored, and so they decided to melt everything down and make a calf and worship it, because that's what I do when I've got a free afternoon. And so already the covenant had been broken. And so Moses has gone up for a second time, received the law on stone tablets and come down. And Paul is referring to this moment in Israel's history and drawing out components and comparing it to the new. The new covenant of Jesus, the new promise, the new way. And there are two key themes that he pulls out from this story in Exodus 34. The theme of glory and the theme of a veil, needing to cover your face in order to look upon glory. So we'll start with the first, glory, this idea of glory. Paul is not saying that the Old Testament is, sorry, that the Old Covenant is without glory. He's not saying that one has glory and one does not. He's actually saying that both the Old and the New Covenant Both the ministry of Moses and the ministry of Jesus both demonstrate the glory of God. Both were opportunities to witness his hand at work in the lives of his people. But the glory is unequal. And the reason that that was such... An important notion for Paul to argue was because at this time in the church in Corinth, Jewish missionaries were coming in and trying to win over the church and and followers of Jesus, win them over to the law of Moses. They were coming in and making claims that Moses was equal to, if not surpassed, that of Jesus And that Jesus, any glory that he demonstrated, any any glory of God that was witnessed through his ministry and his teaching and his death and resurrection was actually to be considered simply an extension of that of Moses. Anything that Jesus did wasn't new, it was just a new chapter, a new step, a new stage in what had already been established. Anything that Jesus did should be considered that of Moses because the two were one in the same. And Paul comes in and refutes this case. He argues against it. He says, yes, Moses did have glory. There was glory in what Moses did. And when we look at Exodus 34, when he comes down the mountain." The glory of God is so evident that it radiates off his face. His face shines to the point where the Israelites cannot look at him. He needs to put a veil over his face that he can only take off when he goes into the tent to be in the presence of God. Yes, Paul says, there is glory in the old covenant. There is glory in the ministry of Moses. But it fades Moses doesn't spend the rest of his life with a veil on his face. In time, that glory goes away. And what's more, that old covenant was broken. Before the paint was even dry or the stone was finally chiseled, the Israelites had already broken that covenant, had already broken that relationship with God, and it resulted in death. It resulted in them being left to wander the wilderness for an entire generation, because that generation who, who forgot and who rebelled against God were not permitted to go into the promised land. That was the covenant of death, and its glory was stamped for a season, marked for a time, but not eternal Paul is saying, yes, we want to acknowledge what the Old Covenant has done, but do not fool yourself into thinking that what we experience now is anything like that. What Paul is saying is that the Old Covenant didn't necessarily end, but more was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And in Jesus, we experience something new. In the ministry of Jesus and the New Covenant, we experience something that is Permanent, that is infinitely greater, and that shines a glory that is insurpassable. The new covenant of Jesus has never been broken, nor will it ever be broken, and it will always provide a way in which God's people can remain connected and in relationship with Him. Paul is trying to counteract this argument that glory is found what, in what is tried and tested. It's found only in what we know, in what history can explain, in what has been established. People had come into the church of Corinth and said, you just need to stick with what we understand, with what we know, with what's already happened. And Paul says, no, that had its time. It met a need. And now something new has come in that is far greater, that surpasses our wildest expectation and shines with a glory that cannot be contained. Compare and contrast. But he doesn't stop there. He then moves on to this other idea of a veil. And as I said, when Moses came down from the mountain, the glory of God shone so extremely from his face that he had to cover it. The Israelites could not look at Moses as the, as the glory of God radiated from him. And it would be really easy for those Jewish missionaries to use that as kind of the first example of why the Old Testament is good, right? Because look, the glory of God shone so brightly that it had to be veiled And yet, Paul, this apostle of Christ, is walking around and I can stare him straight in the eyes. It would suggest that the old covenant glory and what God is doing in that is far greater than that of the new. And again, Paul rebuttals that argument because he talks about the need of a veil not being a reflection of the glory and its intensity. But rather a reflection of the hearts of those who require it. When the Israelites first gazed upon the face of Moses, they had already broken the covenant. They had already, time and time and time again, gone against God, rebelled against God. He had literally just saved them from slavery, and they walked into the wilderness and grumbled. And we know from the Old Testament Scripture that time and time again, they will continue to fall short. They will continue to look away. They will continue to rebel. The Israelites had seasons where their heart was hardened to God. And as a result, they could not gaze upon his glory. They could not look upon Moses' face. The need for a veil was not because the glory was so great, although it was, it was because those who witnessed it couldn't bear to look at it, because their hearts were so hardened to God. What Paul is saying, what Paul is challenging the church in Corinth, is that if we are truly apostles of Christ if we are truly people who want to live within and live out the glory of this new covenant, this new opportunity, this new promise that we find in Christ Jesus, then we need to have hearts that are soft. We need to have hearts that are open to what God is doing in this space, to the teachings of Jesus, to the life that he has called us to. And if we are, then we should be able to gaze upon the glory of God unfiltered, undisturbed, without barrier. Paul isn't saying to be an apostle of Christ is to look at God and see his glory. He's saying to be an apostle of Christ is to look at each other and be able to witness the glory of God unveiled that we receive a freedom that comes from the Spirit that allows us to witness the glory of God undisturbed, unbarriered, unfiltered. Paul once again says, no, no, no. The old covenant, the glory that it demonstrated, the fact that the Israelites could not gaze upon it does not necessarily say that it is better it actually demonstrates that the people weren't in a position to perceive what was happening around them. And to live out that glory means to be able to gaze upon it. And that is how Paul was going to recognise it in those who were a part of the church. And that is how he called them to recognise it in him. The glory of God could shine through Paul, through his ministry, through the church, and be unveiled because it was something new. And if we live in that glory as well, then we too can gaze upon it in all its radiance and see the glory of God unveiled. Compare and contrast. It's a good argument, I give it a distinction. But the question has to be asked, what does that mean for us? Because we do not exist in a a transitional season where we're going from an old covenant to a new. Uh, There aren't many people in this room, I would imagine, I assume, that have held to old covenant law and are now trying to navigate stepping into something new. So how do we take something that is so contextual, how do we take an argument that is so relevant for a time in history and apply it to our lives? Well, I think although the circumstance might be different, the principle remains the same. For first century Middle Eastern culture, it was not far-fetched to um, venerate the past and, and believe and hold true to old ideas and customs and, and to feel a sense of connection to the gods or God Yahweh as a result of it. And I think sometimes too, we just as people can fall into the same trap, that what is known, what is established, what is tradition automatically means what is right? I'm not sure if that's always the case. Um, The senior staff, um, which I'm a part of, we're doing this course through Fuller Institute in the United States on adaptive leadership, just some more study for Matt Willis, Um, because there wasn't enough. Um, And in some of the reading, there was this quote that just stuck out to me that I haven't been able to shake. And I'm paraphrasing, but it ultimately said, in times of crisis or in challenge or in change, we will not rise to the occasion, but rather we will default to our training. And I think we have this expectation that when something new comes along, a new opportunity, an innovative idea, something to experience something that we haven't before, we have this expectation that we will just step into it freely and we'll just grow as a result and, and develop and deepen and our sense of self and our sense of faith. And, and sometimes that happens, but more often than not, we will default to what we know. We will step back into what is established, what is tried and tested, what is tradition, what is history. And I'm not here to say that that's always bad. Rhythms are an important part of life. They give us structure and routine and there's something important about finding something that works for you in your discipleship, in your faith and doing that with God um, on a regular basis. But we need to be willing to question if they are stopping us from experiencing the glory of what God is doing in the now. For the church in Corinth, The old was easy. They knew it. And it was easy to make an argument that it was good and that the glory of God was evident. And to step into something new, there is fear in that. And that fear of the new can keep us chained to the old. It isn't about compromising, it isn't about following something simply because it's different and new, but it's about acknowledging that we follow a God of mystery that we follow a creator God. And what we know of him, what we have experienced of him, what we have seen of him in experience and in scripture is just the tip of the iceberg. And there is so much more to come. There is so much more to learn. There is so much more to experience. And we need to be willing to experience that. Because we follow a God who is constantly seeking to reveal and to enact the promise that he made to us in that new covenant through Jesus. And so we need to be people who are expectant of something new. We need to create space for something new and we need to be on the lookout for something new. We don't wanna be the kind of people who just look back at the glory of what God did. What Paul is challenging the church in Corinth and for us now is to be people who are on the lookout for the glory of what will be and to be ready for it and to not allow fear to default us back into what we know, but in bold, courageous conviction step into something new. And the thing is, the way that we can know if the new is of God is that we should be able to gaze upon its radiance and see it. We should be able to witness it in the lives of those around us. On Thursday night, There were a hundred people in this room, a hundred young adults in this room worshiping for two hours. It was something new. And I'm telling you right now, it was glorious. We should and can witness the glory of God and we should be able to see it in the faces of everyone around us in the faces of those who make up this church, make up this community. That is how we know that the newness of God is amongst us, is that it should radiate from us. And what's more, the glory of God shouldn't just be evident in our faces and in our lives, it should, it should break down barriers it should remove the need for a veil that when others who may not know of Jesus, who may not know of the new promise that was made, who may not know of the glory of God at work in our world, when people gaze upon our lives, it shouldn't, it shouldn't result in them putting on a veil, putting up barriers, not wanting to look upon it it should actually tear all of that down, that others would wanna look at it and ask questions and learn and wanna step into that themselves. Others should want to gaze upon the glory of Jesus in our life. And if we're gonna be that representation if we're going to live that out in our world, then we need to be willing to maybe let go of the old, let go of what we know, let go of what feels comfortable and right, and maybe step into something that challenges, that we've never experienced before, and consider if it will shine God's glory in a way that not only radiates off our face, but radiates to such an extent that someone else sees it and their life is changed. Amen? I'm going to pray for us and then our worship team are going to come forward and they're going to lead us in a time of worship as we finish up our service. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we ask, Lord, now that you continue to teach, that we can continue to learn about who you are and what you are doing in this world. Father, I pray that we can have eyes ready to see the glory of your newness, the glory of your work, the glory of your hands in our world. That although um, tradition and routine and rhythms can help us in our consistency with you, Lord, um, Father, I pray that we also are on the lookout for something new, that there can be a balance in our journey, Lord, that we can see your glory and radiate it from our lives in a way that sees others changed from you. We pray this in your name. Amen.
0: We hope this message has challenged and strengthened you, encouraged you to pray and rely on God, and blessed you today. If you'd like to get to know some of our church community, you can listen to the We Are The Church podcast, an open conversation with real people who call GBC home as they share stories of God at work in their lives and how their lives are being changed by Jesus.